0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: In his book, The Prince, Machiavelli makes the claim that it is better for a leader to be feared rather than loved. He makes the claim that the efficiency of maintaining power is better for those who instill fear in their followers rather than those who live the good life. What's a Christian to do in front of such a claim? How did Christ live this out? This is what we want to talk about today. Welcome back, everybody. I'm glad you're back here again where we at the St. John Institute tried to inspire and raise up the saints to lead and we want you to be able to be one of those saints by putting all of the skill of leadership into your faith and all of the power and depth of your faith into your leadership and that's why i'm really excited about this particular course where we're looking at what i call the anti-leaders and we're focusing first of all on machiavelli what a fella this guy was he's known throughout history he has been Subject of so many critiques and claims, his writings are a must-read for anyone who's interested in the thought of Western civilization. He just is a figure that that looms in political thought and philosophical thought even to this day. Machiavelli is just an incredible figure that everyone needs to know about. Uh, when, you, when you research him and you research you know, his impact, You'll find criticisms coming from the Catholic Church, from historians. Erasmus of Rotterdam talked about Machiavelli. Rousseau talked about Machiavelli. It's almost like a, a point of reference. And that's what draws my attention to it. And why I want you to be able to study his thought through these little courses here. And it's because, in fact, when someone becomes a reference point for every other position in philosophy, especially when it comes to leadership and political philosophy, it's always because there's something true to what he's saying, okay? If someone's completely off their rocker, no one would pay attention to the content of their thought. But when you have a name like Machiavelli that becomes, I mean, he's quoted by, he referenced in Shakespeare no fewer than five times uh, in Shakespeare himself and that was only 150 years after his death uh, he was his books have been published in every language he, he published in english published in french published in italian published in latin it's because this guy is saying something that resonates as being true it's just that what he's saying is very controversial because he's claiming a way a, a political philosophy that is not grounded on ethics but is grounded on practicality. So whereas usually Aristotle, Plato, they would sit back and say, what ought a politician do? What ought a leader to be, right? So remember we read St. Thomas Aquinas in his book De Regno, and he talks all just about, you know, this is the ideal of what a, a leader should be. And then we live up to it. Machiavelli says, you know, it's fine to think about ideals, but the problem with ideals is that they don't actually work. I want a philosophy that describes how you are going to actually be able to lead in a real world, a world where virtue is not uh, held by the many. And if any of you have gone through pains in your leadership uh, from, you know, employees that didn't work out. To you know, partners who stabbed you in the back. To you know, consultants that just show up out of nowhere and claim they're going to do something and then don't do it and then blame your organization for the fact that they failed to to deliver on what they promised. Right? If you have those kind of situations that come up. You you, you can understand and there's something that resonates about Machiavelli because he says I'm not going to sit here and even criticize all of the stories of virtue that are out there or or, or say that they're not true. I'm not here to say that you create good Christian people shouldn't be good Christian people. I'm here just to say that the reality of the fact is, if you're not ready for a bar fight, well, then you've got no place in the present political situation. And in his political situation was just that. I mean, if you look at where in the history of his life, you know, he's in the late 1400s, early 1500s, dies in 1531. Uh, and during that time, you've got the tumult of the Italian states. He's working for the state of Florence, uh, you know, and, and as they're overcome and thrown out, the man is tortured at one point. They, they torture him with a rope, tying his wrist together and hanging him, uh, the wrist behind his back, and then hanging him so that it snaps his shoulder blades and it uh, dislocates his shoulders as they force him to, to hang there. Um, As the Medici's take over power again, you know, he has at the time, the the Pope uh, who was ruling was a terrible uh, moral example, one of the worst moral examples that we've ever had in the papacy. And so you can kind of see, you know, Machiavelli looking at a world that's very broken and he wants to do a philosophy of leadership for that broken world. So what he puts forth for us comes from an experience of someone who has known betrayal and known the low aspects of the human experience and who's writing for those who wish to conquer in such a world. And a lot of you listening right now, you're saying to yourselves, well, that's exactly my world. I thought everyone was nice. I thought everyone was Christian. I thought that people were going to treat me fairly. I thought that if I led like a Christian, I'd be successful. And in fact, what I'm finding is that if I lead like a Christian, I'm not successful. Oh, good guys finish last is the phrase. And that can be a very te- great temptation for us because then we could look around and say, well, do I choose to have power or do I choose to have fidelity to Christ? And that's, and sometimes it's even from the point of view of Christians themselves, Catholics will get together and say, ah, well, you know, it's better not even to get involved in the world. It's better not to, to, to launch yourself into politics or into the struggle for the culture because it's so worldly. We just kind of want to take refuge into the nice little soft bubble that we create for ourselves. Called Our people that agree with us, you know, and you've got people on your right that are saying that people on the left that are saying, you know, if you want to, if you want to fight the good fight well, you're going to have to compromise your morals. And what do you do? Well, on the one hand, you remember that you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth and that Christ is intending you to lead this culture and to impact this world for his glory. And that means that we need to confront the situations that are in front of us, no matter how worldly or or out of line of the gospel that they are. That's why we exist, folks. We're Christians in order to bring the faith there where it is not and to shine the light in the darkness. And yet, on the other hand, we have to always remember that we're not of this world. Our kingdom does not belong here. We are of God and for God and pointed towards God. And so right in that crux is the real question of Christian leadership. How does a Christian stay faithful to the teachings of God while they are being faithful to the commandment to transform a broken and fallen world? Well, I'm here to tell you right now, the one we're going to follow in this is Jesus who did it. And the one we're not going to follow in this is Machiavelli. So let's take a look at why.
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org, That's eagleeye ministries.org and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: Machiavelli writes his book The Prince for those who are taking over kingdoms or acquiring power by the use of force or skill and are not inheriting it. This is a very important distinction because he's writing to a special class of people. He's writing to those who need to step into a world that doesn't welcome them. And of course, entrepreneurs or people with great ideas, or those, you know, this is a very much the Christian position. We find ourselves looking out in a world that would rather us not give our voice And we're trying to actually speak just like entrepreneurs who have a new idea in a field that's already glutted or someone who's looking for funding for their next business idea. Whatever it is, when you want to make a change in an established order, you find yourself in a position that Machiavelli addresses. And he says, quite simply, you need to find the rules of the game as it's being played and then play them as they're written, not as you wish they were. So in chapter 15 of the prince, he goes and says, you know, a prince really can't be trying to do what's right. They need to be doing what's expedient. We need to get out of our minds this idea that we're trying to do what's good and we need to do what will keep us in power. Well, and then in chapter 16, he says, is it better for a prince to be generous and liberal with their money or is it better for a prince to be kind of a miserly and strict with their money? And he actually says, it's better to be strict with your money because if you're liberal, the people will end up despising you one way or the other, either because once you've given all your money away, then you don't have any more. Or on the other hand, in order to give your money away, you're going to have to tax your subjects and they're going to end up despising you. So if you really want to be in charge, don't be generous with your money. And then he goes on to the next chapter, chapter 17, and he has the most astounding statement. He says this, it is better for the ruler to be feared rather than to be loved. Now, you look at that, you say, this is exactly the opposite of Christianity. I thought I was supposed to love my enemies, do good to those who hurt me, pray for those who persecute me. And yet Machiavelli is saying, if I do that, I won't last in power. And he gives the example of, 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 a, of a Roman authority named Scipio, Scipio Africanus, who was a Roman general and later a consul, And he was you know, considered just to be an amazing military commander because he was an amazing fellow. He was nice and he was kind. He was virtuous. And yet his troops rebelled against him. And Machiavelli looks at that and says, you see, nice guys finish last. If you really want to have loyalty from your troops, you need to look at Hannibal. And then he quotes Hannibal. And of course, you remember Hannibal from Carthage, right? which is present-day Tunisia, which was this uh, little outpost of the Roman Empire. And he was standing up to the, the, the domination of Rome for his own people. And he fought campaigns against Rome. Well, his his cruelty was so legendary that there's an expression that you can sometimes find or might, you might hear called Hannibal at the gates. And Hannibal at the gates means an impending doom and destruction. <laughs> and it came from way back then, two centuries before Christ was born. Because Hannibal would decimate the cities, he would just do terrible things, and the cruelty for those who would stand up to him, you know, knew no bounds. He was a, he was a very aggressive man. One time there was a, a senator that was giving a speech in the Senate, and, and, and Hannibal didn't like what he was saying, so he ran up to the stage and threw the man to the ground. You know, it's a, they said that he, was the, he would take the greatest risks and yet would demonstrate the greatest calm. While taking them, So there's a, an admiration here of the Roman mind for this man, their foe, who seemingly had no fear and would rule with an absolute iron fist. So Machiavelli looks at that and he says, now one of them is successful and one of them isn't. And with his troops, Hannibal was known for that. His troops would fight to the death for that man. And he had a loyalty and a unity And Machiavelli says, well, if that's what you want is loyalty and unity from those who are behind you, well, then do like Hannibal did and present them with such fear of punishment that they will do what you want them to do out of fear. Love, he claims, is a weaker force for unity because the love will, in the end, turn into self-service of the people. They will, in the end... Take your generosity as if it was all about them. And as soon as you show any kind of weakness, they will turn on you. Right, this, is, this is him just trying to be real and practical about life. You can demonstrate all kinds of kindness and people will look at it like weakness in terms of their following you. They won't follow you because you're kind. They will follow you because if they don't, bad things will happen to them. And so if you become the source of that, threat of the bad things, they'll remain united underneath you out of respect and out of a sense of dread. Now, there's got to be something that's true about this. You think about parenting, for example, and there's an example that's definitely the case. If you're, if you'd never give your children consequences for what they do or demonstrate and enforce that bad choices are you know have a consequence that's negative for your children you will have in the end spoiled them and you won't have done your job and the statistics constantly show that that type of over satisfaction of a follower can breed resentment and in the end what they really wanted from you was boundaries and this can be the same of course in the workplace there's definitely a role for the strictness of things my question is how did Jesus do it My motto for life is not Hannibal. Interestingly enough, when you look at history, Hannibal finished his days in exile. His country was run over by the Romans. He lost his military campaigns. So Machiavelli doesn't care about that. He's looking at the simple case of, did his people follow him no matter what? Did they fight for him without, without mutiny? And I'm like, well, that's true. But in the end, Hannibal failed. He failed as a politician. He failed as a general. So I, you can, you know, he, he succeeded in many ways, but he also came to his death. And my question is what happened to Hannibal after he died? You know, do we, we, we don't, we lack such wisdom and foresight that we hold up one aspect of his life and we say, this is effective for Kings. And I'd like to say, well, it might be. There might be something really true about what Machiavelli is saying. But my question to you is, are you intending on being, living your life just for the the rule that you have in your business? Is the sum of your life found in your political role in society? Because if it is, I think that you're selling yourself short and you could be trading in for a successful rule there something that you actually will need afterwards even more. Machiavelli wants to say that you need to be feared more than loved by the people who are underneath you that are following you. And that's because then they'll have this unity to fight for you. And obviously there's something true about that. But if you live like that and lead from that perspective, you're also going to trade in something else. You're going to trade in the love that makes life worth living. You're going to trade in the deeper value that comes from the relationships that you can forge. And I would even challenge and wonder, is this the way that God wants us to lead? Leaders are to be feared more than they are to be loved. And you're supposed to keep them, your followers off balance by punishing them, even sometimes being ruthless. In chapter three of the Prince, Machiavelli actually goes so far as to say that when the leader takes over, he should do away with, eliminate, and he means by murder or by violence, the very people that he has overthrown. You should never leave your enemy behind. You counterpunch so strongly that those who are underneath you won't dare to change. And that gives them a curb to their natural tendencies to run away or to betray you or to let you down. I want to ask, is this the only way? How does Christ want us to lead? What's the place of of fear or the place of strength shown by a leader for a Christian leader? How do I balance the need to correct a fallen humanity with the need that we have to lift that same humanity up? This is where I think Christ shines the example for us and why I want to study his life even more than Hannibal or Machiavelli or anyone else.
0: Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ.
1: We are called to lead in the imitation of Jesus Christ, and we're called to lead as an extension of the reign of Christ. But does that mean that we have to be weak? There are many, I'm thinking of Leo Strauss, for example, who's a very famous philosopher. He he made the comment that Machiavelli is the antidote to Christian leaders because a Christian leader will by nature have the tendency to lay down in the front of his enemies and not show corrective force or demonstrate anything that could inspire fear in those who follow him basically, for Leo Strauss, Machiavelli is the antidote to a wimpy Christian leader. But my question for you is, was Christ a leader who lacked strength? Did Christ inspire fear in his followers? Did he unite his apostles out of fear? You know, many people would comment comment that Jesus actually demonstrated great weakness with respect to his leadership because one betrayed him, the man that he named to be the first pope and the first head of his college of bishops, of course, was St. Peter, denied him three times. Our Lord allowed himself to be arrested in the presence of his enemies. And when St. Peter tried to fight back with a sword, our Lord said, enough, and put away the swords because he even healed the man who had come in to arrest him when his ear was sliced by St. Peter's sword, Malchus. Right? And so you look at all of that and you say, well, that's not exactly Jesus leading by fear. When he preached the gospel to his apostles, it was almost never with fear. He speaks about consequence, but he then says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And so there's definitely the teaching about hell and the teaching about the punishments due to hell. But our Lord did not threaten those who did not want to follow him or those who struggled to follow him he he simply let people free at one point in John 6 when the apostles were saying you know we're looking at the people walking away from following Christ Jesus said to them will you too go will you also leave me right he, it, there's a the the bonds that Christ establishes in the hearts of his followers seem very different from the fear that Machiavelli is talking about? Does this mean that Christ is ineffective? This is a real question for us because when you're in your workplace or you're there at your home and you're trying to lead your family and parent, what's the place for fear? I don't think that fear is entirely out of the question. I think of when our Lord was in the temple and he threw over tables, right? I mean, at those moments, Our Lord used fear and our Lord was not afraid to demonstrate strength when he stood up to the Pharisees and he told them in no uncertain terms about their corruption. This, you know, our our soul, it's not a matter of being wimpy. It's a matter of going deeper because on the one hand, you can have loyalty from the outside by shows of strength or by threats but you don't convert the heart for the deepest form of leadership. He speaks about Hannibal, for example, and the loyalty of his troops going into battle. But I'd like to ask, is there something deeper, a deeper form of loyalty that Hannibal could never achieve because he bound his people to himself via threat? You're right. The threat of fear can be a corrective measure that can prevent people from stepping outside of bonds. But what do you lose? On the other hand. And our Lord seems to be focused more on not losing that essential goal of his leadership. There's a development of the heart that can only come when respect and love are shown. And I don't think it's a matter of either or. I think it's a matter of stages. In other words, in our leadership, yes, there has to be, of course, the threat. Listen, if I'm running this business, you're, you're free to leave this job. And you know what? I might help free up your future (laughs) by, you know, sending you on your way. If you step out of line, a a boss that does not enforce the rules there in his company or her company is very likely going to find a toxic employee or a toxic environment that develops simply because they are just too darn nice. You can be too nice. People need to be put in line. We need to know that. And they need to know that that's actually just part and parcel of respect. And yet at the same time, We can't limit it to that. There's a study done by Gallup, a poll taken on leadership, and they analyzed what makes people want to follow a leader. And they came up with four essential qualities that every great leader has according to their polling. And they've been doing polls since the 1930s, so they have a lot of data. And they said the four qualities of a great leader are, number one, vision, number two, that they are trustworthy. Number three, that they trust the people who follow them. And number four, that they have passion. Vision, trustworthiness, trusting nature, and passion. And if we look at the life of our Lord, we see all four of those lived out in an exemplary fashion. He asks us to focus in on the deeper growth of the heart. That might make us sometimes vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to betrayal, yep. But at the same time, we have to remember the reason we're a leader is not to simply effectuate change in a worldly way. We're there to make an impact at the level of the heart and of the spirit, to inspire those who are underneath us to live better lives. And sometimes, yes, this frankly means that we have to show consequences and demonstrate accountability and that we have to be able to draw a line and say, this is not acceptable, but it's always for the sake of a deeper education and of a deeper impact of our life upon them as we try to help them to live at a deeper level and a better level that through the work that in which they engage, they discover something about themselves and their spirit that's truly worthy and noble. And that type of leadership requires those other types of qualities, not just fear, but true respect. I think Machiavelli might be right, in other words, to say, yes, it's better for a leader to be feared rather than loved at one level, at the level of the beginning, but I don't think it's the end because I don't think any of us would say we'd rather fear our father than love him, or we'd rather fear our leader than love them, or any fear we have needs to blossom forth into respect and admiration because that's when God does his real work and we achieve the real goal of our leadership.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.